0: So if you've got a Bible, let's turn to James chapter 3 together this morning. You might remember last week we talked about faith having works, faith actually showing itself through the way that we love God and we love other people. And almost as if James knows, okay, let's not take it too far one way. He then talks to the church here in James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, about the importance of the tongue and the power that our words do have. And so there, in verse 1, we're going to read all the way down through verse 12. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile, and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water.
1: So for as, uh, really since the very beginning of the uh, adventure that is being a parent, I have been trying to tell my kids to stay out of the street. uh, Because as soon as they could walk, uh, they wanted to go into the street and die and so i would any opportunity i got it was like guys don't go out in the street don't go out in the street without an adult look before you go in the street but they just they seemed to not understand that there was any difference whatsoever between the sidewalk and the street Uh, like even though it's stepped down even though there are often big barriers in between the two it was like they didn't even know it and so constantly telling them this all the time, and you know, but I would still, you know, we'd be on walks, or we'd be out places, and they would just like veer as though it didn't, there was nothing laid out in front of them at all, no kind of a path or a road right out into the road or whatever, and the first house that we lived in uh, when we were raising our kids was on... It was kind of a busy street. It was like a feeder street that went into the rest of the neighborhood. But on one end, like we were kind of on a hill, so you couldn't see a lot of the cars that were coming up from very far away. And so we were always just like assumed if they got past the fence, if they got past the front yard, gone. They were gone Uh, because that's what they wanted. And no matter how many times I would tell them, I'd say, guys, cars, they will not stop for you. Right? They're like, yeah, they will. You know, they will not stop for you. They're like, no, the world revolves around us. It's like, but it doesn't revolve around you. They're like, well, well, your world revolves around me. And it's like, true, but not everybody else's does. You know, they will not stop for you. They're like, "Ah, okay, whatever. Well, I, you tell them, tell them, tell them. They just like don't get it. And uh, until one day, we were walking through Ellie's grandma's sort of neighborhood, and uh, we were, uh, we saw the squirrel, as I will call him. Um, I think it was a he, um, I saw out in the middle of the street, a squirrel that had been run over by a car. And I was like, all right, guys, in this instance, it's okay to go out in the street. So they followed me and we went over to the squirrel and I was like, come on guys, get around, gather around, you know? So what do you guys think happened to this squirrel? You know? And they were like, he got hit by a car. like, yeah, he got run over by a car. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he did and uh i said guys what like what do you, what what happened can you can you tell me what happened and they're like we're allowed to talk about this stuff you know because we kind of have a rule you know there's there's just like don't be gross guys and don't you know there's a lot of words they're not allowed to say unless they're in the bathroom and so it's like okay we're telling like we're in the bathroom you know sometimes they're just in there like saying words you know it's like all right but anyway so uh i'm like yeah what you? they're like well i mean like l- you know look at like it was it was like totally flat you know and we looked at like the way it's you could say it's sort of mass had been distributed, you know, Um, and, like, what went where, and, oh, look, the tail's still fluffy or whatever, but uh, the look on its face, everything, And, and I'm, like, really, really, really trying to, like, burn this image into their mind, and just, like, this happens when you go in the street, right, and ever since then, they're a little different about the street, And sometimes we'll talk about it, like, guys, don't, what happened, don't go out in the street without a, like, I remember the squirrel, right? Or else, like the squirrel, right? And then one of the kids will be like, because my stomach will come out of my mouth, or like, whatever, you know, they'll like, (laughs) they'll start to recount it. And like, Ellie was not there, definitely would not have done this at all, right? Um, And so, so, um, the whole difficulty about trying to get a message like that across to my kids, or and this is like, happens all the time with us, is is that it's hard to actually show people the danger of certain things. And you try to talk about things are dangerous, things are, you know, you should be cautious, you should be be careful around them, but you don't really get a sense of it because you don't really feel the presence of that danger much of the time. So we have like warning signs and we have things that are supposed to make us stop and think for a second and go, hold on, I need to be careful about this thing. But the truth is, Uh, we still kind of just don't seem to get it. Uh, What James is saying here in this passage in in the beginning of chapter 3 is really, uh, more than anything else, this passage is a big flashing warning sign. It It is there to say, danger, danger, look out, watch out, death can occur. It's not really here to give us lots of practical tips on how to speak well or say the right things. That's in other parts of the Bible. It's really there primarily because James, who doesn't have a super clear flow or outline through his letter to the church, he's just listing off things. He's like, all right, I gotta make sure I hit this and this and this and this and this this," uh, while I tell the church what they need to be doing because of what he saw in the way they were living. And, and this is the next thing on the list. And he's like, guys, you don't seem to understand quite how significant, how, how, how powerful your words are, that there's danger in them. And so that's really the main purpose. And, and what he does is he starts out by talking about the people that have the most influence in this area, which is teachers. He, he, he immediately starts out by saying to them that not many of them should become teachers, which is unusual for a teacher to say, right? Like, not many of you should do this thing that I'm doing. Uh, now, a lot of, uh, almost any commentator who studies this passage will say, like, it's hard to tell if this whole passage is supposed to be aimed at teachers or if it's supposed to be aimed at the church. And you just get this little thing about teachers at the beginning as sort of an example, Really, what most will agree upon is it doesn't really matter, because what he seems to be saying, he seems to be saying in a way that perfectly applies to both groups of people. Uh, But you could say that the teachers are the ones that it applies to the most, because what he says to them in the beginning here is he says, not many of you should actually seek to be teachers because the punishments, the judgments, and those things are greater for you than they are for people that haven't put themselves in that position, most of us, uh, you know, one of, one of the greatest fears that most people will list is public speaking, getting up in front of people and talking. And so we tend to see somebody who's willing to get up in front of people and we go, hey, if you want to do it, then I guess you're meant to do it. I guess you're supposed to do it. Sounds good, right? Fine with me. And then if, uh, if they, uh, it, you, you combine that with a, like a passion for Jesus or for God, you know, a lot of these new believers had like a ton of passion for what they were learning. You combine those two things together and you get people who are, uh, who are standing up and who are teaching in an environment where a lot of new teachers are needed. And yet there's something about the way this is happening that James is saying You guys need to scale back big time. You need to really think about whether you should be doing this thing, whether you should have these people speaking. Oftentimes, the people that are drawn to the public eye the most are the most opinionated people, not necessarily the most knowledgeable people or the most called people. It's people who just have really strong opinions about things. And they're like, I've gone beyond the one-on-one, one-on-two level. I'd like to get to a bigger group. And I'm going to share my opinions with them. And people who agree with those opinions will be drawn to somebody who shares them a lot of times, which is what we see in many churches. We tend to mislabel things as a result of this. We call bravery uh, what ends up actually being recklessness a lot of the time people who don't care about the consequences of their words. We say, that person's brave. They're willing to say things that other people won't say. We call passion, a lot of times, we we call passion what can merely be enthusiasm, just excitement enthusiasm about something that that may move from object to object as the season of life changes. Uh, We call speaking, what we call speaking from the heart means something very different uh, depending on your view of the human heart and where it comes from. And the idea of, should we be looking for people to speak to us directly from their heart, or from something else? James' teaching is really important at this time, because it is a time when the church is growing, and you have house churches, so you have relatively small communities of people, and so there's a, there's a continuing need for people to step up and to teach uh, teach the Bible, teach the word, to lead and to speak it and, sh- and to read it with others and, and and to discuss it back and forth. Now, uh, what we've already talked about is that the church at this point is made up of Jewish people, people who were raised in the Jewish faith. And you see throughout that, that the primary sort of tendency that these people have is to be religious. And that's because they grew up in this really religious system. And so if there's going to be An erring on one side it's gonna be too religious they're gonna go back to all their traditions and all their habits and all the things that they're used to they're gonna they're gonna go back to the rules and 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 the condemnation of all the other people that are bad right Uh, that's what they're gonna go back to many of the people who may feel led to be teachers Uh, and so because of this this pharisaism that comes up again and again and again In James and in other epistles, uh, he's telling them to be very careful of who teaches at a time when they are desperately in need of teachers, aka no matter what the need is, the standard doesn't change. And what he's telling them is really important, and it's this. He's saying that a good teacher is one who shows discretion. That's how you identify and know a good teacher, the teacher who God is calling to teach, is that it is someone who stops, and thinks, and weighs words, and chooses what is correct, and, and, and speaks for God, and not necessarily just out of their own heart and desires and passions. A person who you would look at and say, I see discretion in this, that is the sign of a good teacher. Rather, than somebody who is simply untethered, somebody who's simply known for speaking from their heart. We love public figures who say things that just shock us. We love it. We love news personalities, talk show hosts, people who speak directly from the heart. And that part of us that loves that doesn't shut off when we approach church, when we approach communities like this. But this is not what we should seek in the people who aspire to teach. A teacher is not someone who is there to simply say things that other people are afraid to say. Which can simply be recklessness or arrogance. And we see more than anywhere else that in the church, this is a destructive thing a person who's been given the privilege to teach is there to speak God's words and not their own words they're there to speak God's heart and not their own heart and i think that i mean it is so we're we're not often drawn to discretion i don't think i would describe human beings as functioning that way you know boy we just we just flock to discretion you know we are we are we are magnetically pulled to people with personalities that just, just exude discretion, right? No, that's not how we work. We don't seem naturally to be pulled to that. And so much of the time, we're, we're simply pulled to uh, those who, who do these other things. And James is saying, look for the person who will stop and discern. Teachers face greater judgments than others, he says. Teachers make bigger mistakes than others. Teachers are attempting to do something that nobody can really do, which is uh, uh, master their words and then stand up in front of everyone. So what he's basically saying is he's saying the hardest thing to control in your whole life is your tongue. So think twice before you get up in front of other people with an uncontrolled tongue where the punishment will be greater, the judgment will be greater, the expectation will be greater. And so the solution, while it's helpful for us to keep this in mind when we look to the people that, that teach and that lead in any context, it is, it is, it is helpful to, to, to ask ourselves this question, is, is this someone who shows discretion? Uh, uh, really what James is doing is he's primarily speaking to the teachers and saying it's your job to use discretion. No one else can make you do it because they don't know how God's word affects you. They don't know if it's something you're processing, if it's something that you're allowing yourself to be shaped by and to internalize, right? Uh, No one knows that but you, ultimately. And so he's talking to the teachers. That's why there's language about punishment and everything else. It's like, here's why you should take this seriously because it's in your own self-interest not to get into this if you're not really willing to do it for the right reasons and do it the right way. And from this point on, everything James says can apply to both teachers and, and the rest of us because when he talks about the ability of the tongue to control the whole body He's talking also about the ability of, of the teacher to sway a whole group of people with words. So he goes on and, and, and he's talking uh, about our tongue and the way we use it. And the first point that he makes super clearly is this. The, the tongue is stronger than you think. However strong and powerful you think your words are, James is telling you they're stronger. And they're more powerful. And they have more of an impact than you think. And they cause more than you think they cause. And you might be like, I have a pretty high view of my words. He's like, I know. They're even more powerful than you think. Because they matter even in the instances when you don't want them to or you don't think they should. The example that he gives is, is this idea of, uh, of, of controlling big things with small things. Recently, I've been, uh, I've been drawing a lot. I'm hesitant to say that because I don't want to in any way give any sense that I can draw because I, I really kind of can't still at all. Um, but I've been drawing a lot. So, um, like, honestly, you would look at a piece of paper and be like, what is that? I'd be like, it's that's, that's a car, you know. Okay, you know. Um, that's fine if it makes you feel good. But I it helps kind of helps me relax. I have, I have ADD, and so, I'd like, if I'm doing something, it helps me focus on other things. and uh, And so... I've, I've been doing this, and and, and as most aspiring artists, I, I mostly am focused on trying to kind of achieve the perfect Batman. So as I'm working on my Batman, um, I, I'm, I'm reading online and, and saying, you know, focus on, try to kind of study anatomy and see how it works, and that will help you. I'm like, no, that makes sense, because Batman's a, you know. Physical human shape. So, uh, so, we have this book that we bought at Costco. Uh, it, it's a really big book. It was 10 bucks. That's basically explains Costco, right? Uh, it, was, it was like, look at how big this book is. It's $10. bucks. i have got to buy it, right? Uh, and it was like the visual guide of the human body. And, uh, and it's a really great book. It's actually a really great book to have if like, you, have, you have kids and they're like, asking you random questions, like, where do your eyeballs go? and you're like, here, I'll show you. And they're like, ugh, you know? Um, and then they're all freaked out, and they have nightmares. So, uh, because, because an image of a brain with just eyeballs, that's scary to some kids. Um, so. That's not me. That's that, Steve May. Your series going off again. It's the Australian voice. That's not mine. Um, <laughs> now we all know about it. Okay, so anyway. So I have this big picture book of human anatomy. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen a human body with just muscle, but it's pretty crazy looking and um, uh, not really something you want to leave out much. But uh, I, as I, So I'm looking at this a lot and I'm trying to kind of draw it and figure it out. You, you look at the, the human body, just the mus- musculature of the human body, and you just see like where the power is. You see the, because it's the size of the muscles. You see these big muscles in the legs that sort of propel us and, and move us. If you're into climbing at all, you know, use your legs, not your arms, because the muscles are way bigger and they're way stronger. Uh, you have these, uh, you have muscles all over and they, and they show you the way that your body's supposed to move and what it's supposed to do. And, uh, and it's really crazy, but. Uh, the the one that you don't see most of the time when you're looking at it is the one, according to James, that moves all of it. The one that actually has the most power out of everything, which is the tongue. Uh, you would never look at like a, a breakdown of the human body if you didn't know anything about it and say, oh, but the most powerful thing is right in there, that mouth thing. But that's what James says. He says, this little thing has the ability to channel and sway the, all the power within a much bigger thing. It steers it. So everything that you can do can either be good or it can be bad, based on your tongue, he says. Just like a ship, a massive structure moving through a powerful ocean, being propelled by powerful wind, can be steered one way or another, completely different way, simply based on this little tiny thing called a rudder because of where it is and how it works in relation to the rest of it. A giant uh, animal, a huge powerful animal, can can be controlled with this little thing, like a bit in its mouth. This tiny little thing that has so much power. That is your tongue. It has so much power because of the way it works in relation to this bigger, more powerful thing. Proverbs talks about this. We've said that James is like is wisdom literature of the New Testament, and uh, some of the best wisdom literature in the Old Testament is the Proverbs. And you actually see how James himself has been influenced by a lot of what's in Proverbs, because he's basically explaining those ideas. Proverbs 15.4 says, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. So a gentle tongue brings life it actually has the power to bring life but perverseness in it it says breaks the spirit we are made in God's image and as being made in God's image we unlike any other creature created thing on this planet have the ability to speak words and by doing that we actually create life or death just in the same way that God himself did there's so much theological significance to the fact that Jesus is the word, logos, which is an expression, because a word is an expression of something, and so Jesus is an actual physical expression of God's uh, idea and, and love and who he is. It's expressed physically through this thing. That's what words do. So when we speak, we, we uh, some would say, clothe our thoughts And they then become realities and we go no 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 no. i'm just talking it's just words right i mean hasn't james been saying up till this point that uh that really actions matter so much more than words anyway well actions do matter but the argument that james is making is that your words have the ability to affect not only your actions but other people and that your words can impact other people more than your actions in terms of bringing life to them Or bringing death and perverseness another proverb uses the language of a sword and says uh, says that that the tongue is like a sword uh, that can cut through into the heart of a person or it can go into a person and bring healing to them now in case you need help interpreting that a sword in your heart is not a good thing right no matter how much you like swords, if I'm like, here, take this one, right? Right in your heart. Not, not a good thing. Not something you appreciate. Because a sword cutting through the outside part of you into the inner part of you is bad. It kills you. It hurts you. And yet going into someone to heal them, to bring them life is a good thing that we do here what he says what proverbs says is your words have the ability to get through the calloused rough exterior the, all the defenses all the things that people have right it doesn't matter how strong and big someone is doesn't matter how fast they are it doesn't even matter as much as you would think it matters how intelligent they are because of how much words get through to other people and how much of an effect they have on them either they can go in and they can cause a lot of pain and a lot of death. Or they can go in and they can bring life. Some of you remember words that were said to you, maybe even as a children, and you haven't forgotten them. Words that were said to you about, about how you look. Things that have been haunting you your whole life. Things about uh, your character. Things about your Things that you've done, or your background, or your tendencies, or your personality. And you've never been able to really forget those things. One of the things that we learn, and we've kind of recognized about children, it seems, is that they, uh, they our words, almost if anything, it feels like our words communicate too much to children. Uh, because, uh, you know, a lot experience this when maybe, maybe a lot of you, if you have like a lot of wounds or baggage from when you were younger, it's because when someone was trying to communicate to you, hey, you're doing something wrong, they weren't careful. And because their words communicated so much more to you than they do to other adults maybe, what you took from that was you are wrong, right? There's something wrong with you, right? Something you're doing needs to change. You need to change. The things you're doing aren't good. You aren't good, and so uh, now, now as now as maybe adults, you think like, "Oh no, no, no!" People would never think that much, right? But but we realize with kids that our words we see because they haven't been able to build up the defenses, kind of like with diseases and stuff. They haven't fully built up these defenses and this immunity. Kids haven't built up an immunity to words yet, which is basically just cynicism. They haven't become cynical. And they haven't learned that part of living life is not listening to things people say and not trusting people when they say things and knowing that sometimes people say really foolish, mean things not because of anything you've done, but because of them and how they feel and how they've been hurt and where they're at, right? The kids haven't developed all that cynicism and all that defense from it yet. And so we see this played out, the, the power and the strength of our, of our tongue almost more than anything with younger people and people who have less and less defenses, We can't simply say it doesn't matter what people say about you because that's not true. It does matter what people say about you. You can love doing something. You can love a certain thing, and you can give your whole life to it and say, I love it more than anything else. And if every single person you ever meet says something bad or or hurtful to you about that thing, they say you're bad at it or it's lame or it's weird or it's not worth putting any time into, regardless of what anybody says, that will affect you. Those words will affect you. One of the interesting things about... um, the watergate scandal was uh and and sort of the events surrounding that was that there was all these tapes these recordings that were uh that were made known and that were released from uh, that president nixon had and, and they were and they were recordings of of him in the oval office talking and 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 sort of when nobody else was there he was the one making the tapes but uh the reason, the, the, most would agree that the greatest damage that that caused him was not what it revealed about illegal things that he did. The greatest damage that it caused him was what it revealed about his heart. Because people were hearing things in situations where he didn't really care what anybody heard. Or because he didn't think there was anybody listening. There was this coarseness to him, there was a meanness of spirit, there was this kind of nastiness even there. And because of that, people were like, I don't like this guy. And, you know, mind blown, this politician, he doesn't mean the stuff he says when he's like on TV and stuff. And he's actually not a very good person, it seems, right? I'm not making a statement about any particular party, by the way, because I'm I'm pretty sure if you had the same sort of a situation with a lot of people who are in leadership and who are in power, what we would find is that their words said in those instances reveal things about them. They reveal the heart. We live our lives acting like our physical size, our capability, our intellect are what matter most when it comes to causing harm and good. But According to James our words carry much more sway than our physical actions ever could with other people Words give us the ability to create and destroy And ultimately what James is saying here is that if you can master your words you can ultimately master yourself Because they are the hardest thing to master Which again is why you should think twice before getting up in front of people and talking about things he goes on then takes a pretty negative turn. And again, instead of giving advice on how we can be better talkers and speakers and what we should be saying, nope, he goes negative. And he says how dangerous the tongue is. He says, it's not just powerful, it's dangerous. In fact, it's more dangerous than you think. So however dangerous you think that your tongue is, your words are, it's more dangerous than that. This is what James is saying. He uses the analogy of a wildfire. A wildfire in ancient Palestine is the worst thing that could happen. In such a dry, arid place, they have no infrastructure. They have no way to... They, have, they don't have access to much water to begin with. They have no way to really put out large-scale fires. And so when a spark lit a fire, you just had to stand back and watch it consume everything until it ate up all the fuel and it was gone. That's all you could do. This absolutely most devastating force he likens to your tongue saying that when you speak words of destruction what they do is destruction that is akin to the wildest fire that can consume your whole your whole village your home everything that you care about and love and know about the very summer that we moved here was the summer that uh, there was a fire in the gorge and uh, fortunately, we had we had visited several times before that, and we were able to see the gorge before this because a lot of people were saying at the t- you know, at the time, like, if you hadn't seen the gorge before this, you you won't. There's certain things you'll never see again in your lifetime that looked the way it did because of so much of the damage and the destruction there. There was days of burning. There was ash here in our own town. I mean, it was just it was just devastating what it did, and uh, and it just spread and spread and and even with all of the abilities that we have to. Uh, use invention and, and infrastructure to fight fire. When it comes to a wildfire, a forest fire, it, it feels like we can barely do anything. It, it seems we 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 just wait and hear reports, and and it just doesn't seem to be uh, like we're winning ever. Well, it turns out that it was a a young boy who started this fire. He was lighting fireworks, and uh, and he uh, you know somebody saw him, and then he eventually came forward, and uh, and so eventually uh, charges were brought against him and uh, to the tune of 37 million dollars in restitutions so wisely he lawyered up and he went to the judge and the lawyer said this is insane Like, this is completely outside the realm of reality. There's no way that he can pay $37 million in damages. This is unrealistic. This is crazy. And the judge said, okay, listen, I've dealt with cases like this before, and honestly, the highest anyone's ever been penalized is $114,000. So I'm going to evaluate the whole thing, and I'll let you know. And a week later, the judge said, okay, I'm finding him responsible for $36 million in restitutions. And he had to pay it. His parents couldn't help him. They were like, good, sweet, all right, glad for that. But, he, but here's the thing, it's kind of a catch. After 10 years with good behavior and other things, it basically ends. right? So everything he has until then basically goes towards this. Now the crazy thing about this, mathematically speaking, has a, has a, has a more exciting, compelling sentence ever been spoken, by the way, in a message? The crazy thing about this, mathematically speaking, is that... The destruction that he caused already far outweighs the amount of money that he can ever earn in his lifetime, which basically means he has already caused more destruction, it seems, than he can cause good. He can't earn that much money in his life. And as unfair and crazy as that seems, the truth is, this is the way that sin works, is that, is that we don't think of our words as being that destructive, as, as being that big of a deal. Just like any kid would say, like, oh, it's something foolish that I'm doing. It couldn't possibly be that big of a deal, right? But it can. Because at the end of the day, uh, we have all of the civilization we've built and all the industry and all of the invention and infrastructure and all these organizations and ways of governing. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff is people and people are impacted by words, at least until the machines take over. Words get in, and words impact. And they can cause tremendous good, but what James is concerned with is that the church really understands that your words, your tongue, is more dangerous than you think it is. And the reason is, like a wildfire, the tongue's destruction is often permanent and it's often beyond our control. We think of words as like, ah, I could take it back, I could say I'm sorry, you know, it's not going to be the end of the world. But the truth is, people can't unhear the things that they hear. The fact is, there is more damage caused than a lot of times we want to acknowledge, and things can spread faster than we can ever contain them. I know a lot of people who've never said a four-letter word in their life. You know, the bad ones. But who create more destruction through gossip, through slander, through deceit and anger words and bitterness than they ever could with foul language. Because of the words that they speak. And the curse that they bring instead of the blessing. What James says here in this passage is he says, I'll go back. What he says in this passage here is the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. That phrase, the entire course of life, if you you literally translate it, it is a Greek term that means the wheel of life. And it's not a biblical term. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. It's a Greek concept. And the wheel of life is a phrase that people use. And it refers to the patterns and the habits of a person's life. So basically, it's kind of what makes you you. Uh, it's it's your personality. It's the discipline that you've developed. It's you know if you're if you're a really good person with lots of integrity who's hardworking. People would say, look at the wheel of, of their life of the patterns of that person's life. I want to be like them. I want to have one like that. When you say, I, oh, this is the new me, not the old me, you're referring to like how you want to change something about that pattern. That no, all the good things you did today, that's great. But when you wake up tomorrow, this is the person that you're going to be by default. This is all the ways that you try to discipline yourself and shape yourself and form yourself and improve yourself because you want to have a good life. You want the wheel of your life, the whole of your being to be good and to be constructive. And what James says is, he says, your words are so dangerous that they have the power to consume the good that is done by all of that. So you can spend your whole life trying to be so great in all those ways. But if your words are not controlled, if your tongue has not been tamed, then... It can consume that. It says with the fires of hell, it can, it can cause evil, and it can cause bad, and it can cause damage. And the reason that he says this is not just because it, it has to do with how you even affect other people, but uh, the words that you use have the power to cause sometimes permanent damage to you. Because you know the only surefire way to protect yourself against someone's words is to not hear them and to leave and to go away, which is what we do. That's what we do with people whose words are, are poison, whose words bring curse again and again and again. We just find ourselves going, I don't want to be around them. In fact, I need to get away from them because I, I can't. That's the only way that I can control it. And this is what people will do if you continue to use these dangerous words and not realize how, how toxic they can be. Is that all the stuff you're living for and your reputation and your life is going to amount to not much. Because people aren't even going to want to be a part of your life. And you're going to find yourself alone. This is how a lot of people feel. They're happy to be alone. They're happy to not be with other people. Because they just want to be able to say whatever they say and not care. I was talking to an elder once at a church that I had been at and done ministry at for many years. And I started there and I was, I was very young and sort of inexperienced in ministry and working with people. And I was expressing to him frustration over the fact that people just didn't take me seriously. And I said, no matter what I do, no matter how hard I work, no matter how good things seem to be, sometimes these, these people just don't, they just treat me like I'm a kid or they just treat me like, it's, like, like, like they don't care. And he said, uh, he said, you know, to be honest, I think when you first started out in ministry here, he said, I think there were some things that you said and uh, that were said sort of out of immaturity, you know, and I think that they haven't been able to really forget those things. They're always going to see you as that person, right? None of you guys know how that feels, right? None of us know how that feels to be like, don't see me as that person anymore, See me as this person. And you, a lot of times you know that when you're around a new community or group of people and they see you differently. They're like, I don't care what that was like, whatever. And some people move on again and again and again to new communities for that exact reason. They're like, it's way easier to just say dumb stuff and not care and then just move on to the next group of people. Why? Why does it work this way? Because sometimes the impact of our very words is permanent it seems. That we, we 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 and, and you're like, that, is, that isn't fair. You're right, it's not. But that's how people work. And people are at the heart of everything. And that's why James is saying the tongue is more dangerous than you think. What he's talking about is in the church. He's not talking about how we are even outside the walls of the church as much. This isn't about proving your faith, showing the evidence of your faith. This is about Practically speaking, how are you guys treating each other? How are you guys going to get along as a family? That's this whole conversation is about. And he's saying here in the church, in this family, this community that you desperately need, now, that you're a Christian. The way you use your tongue, the things you say, focus more on saying the things that you know should be said rather than focusing on just saying what's in there. And thinking that's what people need to hear. The last thing that he says that is really important is he says that the tongue must be tamed. He likens it to an animal that is tamed, and he he says it's one that can't ultimately be tamed. But the reason he uses this language is because when you confront an animal out in the wild that can kill you, that can defeat you, that is more powerful than you, and therefore a threat sometimes you have the option of instead of killing it, taming it, harnessing the power of that thing, and then using it for good, using it for your own ends. Now, the way the Bible talks about sin is usually what it says is like, listen, if something is doing this much damage in your life, if if you're repeatedly messing yourself up, if it's this dangerous, like James is saying, then just get away from it. Just Get as far away as you can. Well, okay, fine. Stop talking. There it is. But that's not what James is saying. And this is not just me saying what I wish it said, okay? But James is not saying talk less. He's not saying don't talk at all. That's not what he's saying. Because to not talk is to not, he says, we use that tongue to bless God and to bless others. We use that tongue for good things. The tongue itself is, again, remember, powerful. It can speak life, and we need that here in community. So rather than say, stop talking, everybody, just live in silence and devotion forever, he's saying, tame the beast and use it for good and not for bad. Use it to help build a life with a power that you otherwise wouldn't have. Imagine if the things that caused the greatest destruction in your life were things that you could never actually eliminate. Imagine if you were an alcoholic, but you had to keep drinking every day. Imagine if you had things that were just so hard that you're like, the only way that I can deal with this is to cut it out of my life, but you couldn't. Now, fortunately, that's not the case with most of the things that we struggle with that can be so dangerous. But in this instance, what James is saying is this isn't one of those things. So you have to learn to tame it. You have to learn to control it. And the way that you control that you tame your tongue. And for some here, like, let's be honest, this isn't even about taming. This is like we're we're at the housebroken stage. We're at like housebreak your tongue, okay? Just get out and then let it all out or whatever. I don't know. Go into a closet and talk to a mirror, or have your friend that you say stuff to or whatever. But ultimately, the goal is to tame this thing. And the way that we do it is we do that through repetition, through practice. We only think of the 50% of this that is like what you don't say, what you don't do. That's what we think of. When we think of controlling your tongue and, and, and taming it, we think of, okay, don't say this, don't say that, don't say this, don't say that. That's not what he's describing. There's another 50%, which is, what am I supposed to say? What do I say? You say the things that you know you should say. Not to be some religious hypocrite, not to be fake, right? We just had Valentine's Day. If You just heard right now and you're like, oh, you're probably in trouble. But we have Valentine's Day and, you know, making me think about, you know, over the years in our relationship, how I often mistakenly thought that if Ellie is the person I love the most, then that means that I should just... Always be only telling her like how I'm feeling, not maybe what I should be telling her, if that makes any sense. You, you hopefully can understand what I'm saying here. It's the difference between saying the things that you know they need to hear rather than always just saying uh, the stuff that you're feeling in life when what you're feeling is only going to hurt. I'm not talking about lying or deception, but we often think this way. We think if you're comfortable with people, if you're really close to somebody, then you can just unfiltered say whatever is in your heart because isn't that really what we all want? Aren't those the people that we love, the people who can just speak their mind, speak their heart with no filter? Isn't that what we do for the people closest to us? No. For the people closest to us that we care about the most, We care about the words that they hear the most. What do they need to hear from me? How do I express things that will create life, that will bless them, that will build them up? Because this is what words that the tongue does in this relationship. And so it's not just about cutting out all the stuff we shouldn't be saying, but it's also about saying, like, how can I speak the truth that I know people need to hear. One of, the, one of the ways we do this, obviously, is we we worship. We we literally speak and sing out loud things that are true about God. And sometimes people are like, oh, worship's too repetitive, or oh, we're just droning on and on, or what are we like chanting? Is that like a, a we run out of words or something that we can't come up with new ones, so we just say the same ones? No, that's not why we do that. We do it because we say these things that we know are true, that our heart struggles to believe or that we struggle to live out and so in doing that there is power to speak the truth to speak those things and to bring life as we do it because there's power to the tongue and so we tame it we say i'm not going to do what you want me to do you're going to do what i want the tongue is like the next thing after the brain and it is easy to think that the job of the tongue is just to like communicate all the stuff that's going on up here. But there's a huge difference between what's going on up here and what gets said. Because when it gets said, it is given life. If I know that I'm prone to be deceived as a person that lives in the flesh, then that means that my goal is not to just express how I feel all the time. It means that my goal is to sift through the things that I'm feeling and experiencing and to ask the question of how do I use my words. If my tongue is not just, I mean, we we primarily think of, we primarily think of our tongue and our words as simply the way that we express how we're feeling. But that's not the way the Bible describes it. It describes it as this force of great power, and we decide how we're going to use it. If I looked at my tongue and my words more as this thing that I say, how will it be used? What will it be dedicated to? Rather than just it belongs to me, and it's supposed to show who I am all the time. Then we can tame this thing and in a community full of people that really are vulnerable with one another and trust and care about one another, trusting and caring about people means not you're going to hear everything unfiltered. What it means is I will try harder with you than I will with anyone else. And again, you, you can't help but go back to To the people that you are the closest with whether it's your roommates whether it's your your kids or your spouse the people in your life that you're the closest with these are the people that we know are the most affected by the words that we speak so what are the words that we speak do we treat the people around us like a dumping ground for all the stuff that we can't say to other people but now we can does that bring life to them no, if instead we say, I'm going to speak life to this person, then it creates life. Uh, or the only way to respond to something like this is to worship. And so as we worship, I, I encourage you to really think about these words that you are saying. Do I believe and feel this thing really? Is this really a reflection of where I'm at with God uh, Regardless, you should say it out loud, and don't think of it as hypocritical words or me pretending something, but rather, I am speaking truth, I am speaking life, and by doing so, there's power in that.